1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Fitness Canner Podcast. Simon Shawcross, the co-founder of HitUni.com, and that stands for High Intensity Training University, uh, joins us today. I'm really excited to have him because as many of you know, I'm not a huge advocate of people just rushing out and getting certifications because I feel like a lot of times uh, trainers just, uh, people who want to get into the field, they think as long as they get something Uh, you know, underneath their belt, it's kind of like alphabet soup. You know, you can just kind of rack up different kinds of certifications and and all of a sudden you're a trainer, but you're going to train people the way that you train yourself, which might not suit everybody. But as many of you also know, I'm I'm a true believer in in very scientific-related and science-backed strength training principles, which I know Simon is as well. And um, they also have a training uh, qualification or certification that actually teaches true strength training principles uh, backed by scientific research as well as letting you learn the body. So it's a certain specific way to train someone that you're learning and you're, you're getting um, all the qualifications you need to actually execute that. So I think that's a, a lot different than a lot of the other certifications out there uh, because it, it leads people into training any style because they think that just because they're certified um, they can do whatever they want, which this is very specific in in training mode. So, anyway, Simon, thanks for for sticking with me and fighting through all those technical complications. Eric,
0: it's a pleasure to be finally talking to you.
1: <laughs> so, fill in some gaps for us um, about what what who you are, what you do, and and the theory behind Hit Uni.
0: Sure. Should I, I I'll start by taking it right back to? When I was at uh, university studying and um, I was into strength and conditioning, I was into working out and I was in the gym, let's say five days a week for an hour at a time, lifting weights for most of that time as well. And uh, I, I loved it. I, I just enjoyed that environment. I enjoyed the camaraderie of being around people and, uh, and working out a lot too. I got, I, I got a real high off of it. And being young and... 20 years old, loads of time on my hands, very few life stresses at that point. I, I had the energy and the reserves to get away with training that frequently and, and that hard. But when I came to the end of my time at university, I got a job uh, managing a cappuccino bar but initially but it was really kind of intense. It was 9, 10, 11, even 12 hour days sometimes. And when I first started that job, six days a week as well. And when I first started that job, what I looked to do was to continue getting to the gym five days a week and training. And I kept coming down with colds. I kept coming down with um, feeling unwell and lethargic and it just wasn't working for me. So I started looking around for alternatives. And one of the alternatives that I sort of stumbled across was this uh, high intensity type training where you keep the, the volume of the workout fairly low you keep the intensity of the exercises you're performing high but you also keep the frequency fairly low and what i found was that this really fitted with the adult lifestyle of of holding down a job getting on with all the other commitments you have in life and still getting your fitness and still getting strong and still feeling good about yourself and being physically capable and that was a real eye-opener to me and from that moment is when I decided I wanted to be able to get this message out to as many people as possible. Because I think, you know, when you're at that sort of college age and, and you're an athlete or you have uh, a, a, a passion for fitness, you have all the time in the world to engage in that and, and get everything out of it. But as you mature, you might find that that's not always the case. And there are far more people who need a more time-efficient solution
1: right. to exercise. Right, Absolutely so how did you how did you come across hit exactly? Who are some of your influences for that?
0: So the very first person that i I read anything relating to high intensity training from was uh, a bodybuilder called Mike Menzer who was writing a column in uh, Iron Man magazine at the time I believe it was um then that turns me on to some other authors, Dr. Doug McGuff, who's current, who, who's more recently written Body by Science, but he had a, a small, slim book out back in those days called Ultimate Exercise Bulletin Number One. That sort of led me on to reading, um, some of the strength and conditioning coaches. Ken Manny was one of them. And so that sort of, that snowballed into reading everything that I could do about high intensity training. And there are sort of many permutations about it from ultra low volume and frequency to sort of a, a fairly uh, reasonable volume and frequency as well. So when people say high intensity training, you kind of need to drill down a little bit and figure out, well, what, what interpretation of it is that?
1: Right. Because it's kind of, there's a lot of bastardized versions of it now, I feel like. Um, And I think one of them has spun off to become, you know, the high-intensity interval training, which uh, it's fine in its own right, but it's definitely not the same thing, right?
0: I I think it's, you know, it's a a really useful tool for conditioning and so on, high-intensity interval training. But the term high-intensity training, HIT, has been around since the 1970s. and, And, of course, I didn't mention sort of the, the groundspring of where this approach all came from, Arthur Jones. Right. And, uh, and that has been referred to since the 70s as high-intensity training, referring to resistance or strength training. Uh, at some point in the 2000s, uh, journalists started referring to uh, high-intensity interval training as HIT, and it, it's confused people. And it's, a, it's another modality, and it can be useful, but it, isn't, it doesn't quite have all of the benefits of high-intensity resistance or strength training does.
1: So, tell us a little more about Hit Uni because I think it's a pretty unique philosophy um, in the way that you're combining the research and actually instructing people on how to train a specific way. Sure. Um,
0: so, as w- one of the things that I did as I got into this is I started to work as a personal trainer. I started working as a personal trainer back in 1999. And I found that uh, certainly in the UK where I was based, there were very few people who were even aware of high intensity resistance training at that point in time. So I built my client base and introduced people at a one to one level to this type of exercise. But it, it started a, um, uh, a desire to get it out to more people. So there, there was this uh, groundspring of where HIT Uni came from, which was to get the message out about safe efficient and effective resistance training exercise to as many people globally as possible and what is the best way of getting this evidence-based training out to people? Um, Well it's through creating people on the ground, great quality trainers who are able to pass on this type of information and coach people effectively in performing Safe, efficient, and effective resistance training, and all the, the, the multitude of benefits that can provide. So, what we focus on doing is primarily training the trainers um, to be able to work as personal trainers, certified HIT Uni personal trainers, on the ground um, globally, um, working with uh, people in their own neighbourhoods, in their own uh, their own niche, their own market areas. Um, so we're focused on taking the scientific research, and there's some great stuff coming out at the moment um, from from researchers like James Fisher, James Steele, uh, Wayne Westcott, and taking this research and breaking it down into chunks, bite-sized chunks, put across in video format put across in um, audio format and put across in the written word via our courses so that uh, it's very easy to imbibe the information the anatomy and physiology behind it the science behind it and then moving on to actually how to perform the exercises and how to teach people effectively and coach people effectively um, which is a skill unto itself as I'm, I'm sure you know Eric
1: Oh, yeah, big time. And by the way, everything you just said seems a little too well thought out. <laughs> a, little too, a little too much logic behind all that. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm completely uh, kidding. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it, is, it is logical and well thought out, which any well-designed exercise program should be. There should be a, philosoph- yeah. there should be a philosophy behind it. There sh- it shouldn't be randomized. It should be if somebody asks you, why are you doing what you do? you should be able yeah. to tell them, which is what you just did. And then right. to, be able to, <laughs> pa- to be able to pass that information on to somebody else so they can effectively give somebody an exercise program is also important. So when I work with uh, interns here at the facility, one of the things I like to tell them is you have to understand your own program. Not, you shouldn't be searching for the next thing to do. shouldn't be a searching. You should know if you go from one exercise, what comes next. But then after that, since you know we're a little bit different setup than I'm sure you are, which we'll get into, you should be able to know. Okay, if I just did a a vertical press, I'm going to do a vertical pull. No matter what yeah. you use, it's going to be in that order, and you should be able to explain those things to the people you're working with. So, of course, I, I was completely, complete. I was being facetious. Like it, it makes complete sense what you're saying, and I wish more people, um, you know, had that kind of philosophy. So, I, I from my perspective, I think the key thing is, I just resistance training is such
0: a beneficial medicine. Um, Whether you're doing um, the high intensity approach that we recommend, or you're doing another safe approach. And, And for me, the thing about high intensity training or the two things about high intensity training, that are most important is it's safety factor and it's efficiency and effectiveness. And really I don't, I I don't hold on to it uh, as something very, very precious. And you know, if somebody next to me in the gym is doing four sets of 10 and accumulating fatigue over those four sets and I'm doing my one set of exercise, I I don't feel uh, that I have to defend one set training or that that guy has to defend four set training. I think resistance training itself is fantastic. And find a way that works for you and if you're a trainer that works for the target audience that you're working with.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's the
0: key that's the key message because resistance training is fantastic and there's not enough people doing it. Um especially as people move towards middle age and and becoming senior citizens there are far more people who can benefit from a sensible approach to resistance training.
1: Right. And I think um we're seeing that a lot because like you know the baby boomer uh, generation now who you know the the, uh, the population who's becoming older and is still a, a large percentage of the population, they, they grew up in a time where all of a sudden it went from, or the, it was kind of the transition from strength training uh, all the way into car- cardiovascular exercise. You know, you saw right. that, that, that transition like the 80s, the 90s. And so in their mind, if they're not research- researching it themselves, they didn't come from like a strength training background, that's still what needs to be done. You know, you have to keep your heart healthy. But there are benefits... Yeah to the heart, the cardiovascular system also from strength training, which I, I've harped on a ton on, the, on this podcast, and I don't want to you know, beat anybody's awesome. eardrums up. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's, the best bang for your buck, I always say, is, is uh, strength training, especially if you're not resting between sets. And if you're time crunched, and yeah. I completely agree with you yeah. know, what you're saying about the multiple sets, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a time-crunched individual who has a life, who can't spend an hour or two, you know whatever in the gym like some people do, and you want to get the most out of it, then this is the, the, the route I think uh, most people should go. So, exactly. I think if you, if you have 20 to 30 minutes yes. twice a week right. that you can dedicate to resistance
0: training, you will get just about everything that is possible to get out of it beneficially whilst keeping... Uh, the risks of, you know, uh, damaging yourself or injuring yourself or, or, or pushing it too far um, when you have lots of things going on in your life. Uh, right. And I think that's where the benefit of high-intensity training really lies.
1: Agreed. Uh, so let, let's walk through the process with this, because I, I have a feeling it's, it's very systematic. Sure. So tell us about somebody's first workout uh, when they come to see you.
0: The first workout that I initially i would sit down with a person and obviously as we all do make sure that uh, we know about their history their health history and so on and then i would look to explain a little about the concepts bet- behind high intensity resistance training the the goal of the end point of the set uh that we're looking for them to get to momentary muscular failure and what that is at the end of the set not that i would expect them to get to that place in an initial workout but just so they have a a sense in their mind of, of what it is they're going to work towards ultimately, and to let them know that as you work uh, toward the end of the set and you're working uh, intensely and you're working with challenge, a little bit uncomfortable um, for a period of time there's a difference of course between pain and discomfort pain is you know what i would say typically relates to a joint or an injury um something that you obviously completely want to avoid during exercise but discomfort or feeling uncomfortable is you're approaching momentary muscular failure um or you're approaching the to be embraced and encouraged and welcomed, because that's a signal that's telling you that you are doing very well indeed, and you're about to get all those health benefits that this kind of exercise can provide. It's getting to that place that, that helps to do that. Right. Um, then I'm going to talk about one of the key things about doing this is we want to do it safely. So I want you to continuously breathe rhythmically throughout the entire exercise avoiding valsalva maneuver holding your breath at any point avoiding gripping unnecessarily with your hands for, for example if you're doing a leg press so that you're not going to raise your blood pressure unnecessarily and dangerously during exercise See, we can make resistance training pretty much safer than anything else yeah. you're going to do in your life, yep. despite the fact that the body is working very intensely because we have these safety margins and factors built into the workout. So I want people to to grasp that. Then I'm going to take them through to the uh, gym area and I will demonstrate, um, obviously, uh, biomechanically sound exercises. It, uh, I tend to use um, machines primarily, especially with... Uh, the target audience that i work with and i'll take them through let's say in a first session typically i do a leg press chest press and pull down if those are suitable exercises for a particular individual and i would demonstrate the slow controlled movement that i will expect them to show i'll show them biomechanically how we're going to set them up in the exercise so that they're going to be performing a very safe movement pattern for their joints Um, i'm going to uh, run through what it will look like externally me going to um, to momentary muscular failure. So they get a sense of there don't have to be any histrionics they don't have to be grunting and groaning and demonstrating to me that they're working hard i'll know if they're working hard because right. i'll see it as they do it <laughs> right um, and then and then simply getting them into the machines and starting to get them to do the movement and i'm far more interested initially in them being able to Perform the movement safely than any kind of intensity in that first session. Absolutely, first and foremost is demonstrate to me, show me that you're learning the movement. And as each rep goes by, I'm expecting the reps to become smoother and more controlled. Um, you know, it, it, it depends. It dif- different. It can be different for different individuals. The speed at which they can acquire the sort of the smoothness and the control. You know, depending on on the, their, their their neurology and so on. But I want to see that performance that great performance of the exercise first and foremost um they may or may not get towards momentary muscular failure during the exercise in the first session i'm not going to push them to that place if i don't think they're capable if they have a uh, a, a decent history of resistance training behind them, and they're perhaps just tweaking towards this as a new protocol. Then, then maybe they would be ready. But uh, sort of a little old lady who's coming off the street for the first time. Oh, maybe I just want her to get out a little bit out of breath and, and begin to feel that burn in the muscles for the first time. What I what I find with this type of exercise that we're talking about, Eric, high intensity resistance training, is that you can talk about it till you're blue in the face, but until the person has had that experience of a, an exercise that they have successfully and safely taken to momentary muscular failure, they don't get it. You have right. to physiologically experience it to get it. Once you've physiologically experienced it, then you've got ah, I, I get it. I get how it you know gets to the cardiovascular system. I get how it gets to the muscle so efficiently. But you have to take the person to that place. So is it as a trainer and I encourage our trainers to look to guide their their clients toward that place safely. And what I've often found is they might the, the clients may find they've had a tough session in session one or session two. You know, feel challenging, appropriately challenging for them and their current capabilities. But for me, most clients tend to get toward what I would consider a true high intensity resistance training workout by about session four session five when they're beginning to accumulate the skills more successfully and beginning to actually fatigue their muscles uh capably and appropriately and that's that's all i'm driven on creating for that individual in front of me during those first four five six sessions is getting them to be able to get to their own physiology safely
1: because basically i mean by that point the mental factor plays a huge difference also a lot of people can take themselves and i I've talked about this also with some other uh, podcast guests but a lot of people think they can take themselves there but they're not willing to once it starts to get a little challenging but I, i'm not and I'm not so sure that's one hundred percent you know physiological because yeah it's it's gr- it can be grueling but if you get to that point like you said you know you're you test you know it's basically like a, a test the first you know four to five appointments you you kind of mentally change your mindset, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically, yeah. you're, you're, I mean, you have to tell yourself physically that you can push through it, that you're still safe because all of these things are coming through your head. Like, you know, as soon as it starts to burn, that's usually when people say, okay, boom, that's a good set. I'm yeah, done. done. I'm, I'm going to wait, a <laughs> m- I'm going to wait, you know, two or three minutes. I'm going to come back. But instead yeah. you're going to take it past that. You're going to take it past that on un- that really uncomfortable point where it almost feels like that burning sensation like almost leaves your body. It becomes something completely different. But I think it's also important to note that, again, when people think, when people think of high-intensity training in the terms that you, know, you and I are talking about, they only think, and maybe a lot of people think about this, they don't focus on that negative factor either because we're a lot stronger in that position. So, for instance, on a chest press, if you really get to that, that factor, it's really hard to push how often do you see people just want to like drop it down to the negative and say forget it I'm done? And they yeah, you know I, it, I'm sure you're 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 coaching them to you know really focus on the negative also.
0: Absolutely. I mean it it, it is uh, instinctive. Yeah. to want to avoid that place. Really we would only kind of tap into to to this degree of strength in in the everyday world if we had to you know if we saw a a car wreck and we had to lift the car off somebody we tap into that stuff but typically people don't get to that place they're not used to getting to that to their physiology in that way and it does take stripping away those um uh, uh, those sort of inbuilt safety factors that the body has right to stop itself (laughs) from getting hurt or injured and we and we're telling your physiology this is how you do it safely. So your physiology doesn't have to attempt to protect you at that point. You can work to that place. And I want to, to just run, run back a little bit to something you, you started saying a moment ago, Eric, which was, you know, sometimes people don't really want to go to that place or, or, or can't go to that place in a, in a way. And I was reading a, a fascinating piece of research earlier this morning, uh, led by James Steele at Southampton Solent University, Um, which took uh, older adults and had them perform a a resistance training workout uh, twice a week for six months, and they were supervised throughout that six months. Um, During that time, they increased their strength, they increased their uh, cross-sectional area, the things you would hope and expect to see from a a uh, well-applied resistance training uh, program. After that six months, individuals were then Free to, or the subjects were free to choose whether they continued training or just stopped resistance training altogether. And I think about half the participants continued to resistance train. And this is the shocking thing. The ones who continued to res- resistance train and now were doing so unsupervised, they started to lose strength and to lose um functional ability in 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 everyday tasks that they were measured on at the same degree as those who just stopped resistance training altogether now they didn't go back to baseline neither group went back to baseline over that six months right but what that says to me is that most people who aren't massively dedicated to exercise and passionate about it and driven really driven like, like like yourself eric probably aren't capable of taking themselves to a place where they're genuinely stimulating their, their lean tissue in the gym.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I'd like to link if you have that, if you have that um, article, I'd like I would will. Get, yeah, link that to the podcast for sure. I would I would get it across to you. So yeah. so we, we've talked a lot about you know what that what it, what it might feel like, uh, the entry process. What does a typical uh, workout look like for let's say a healthy individual in their like late twenties? who have, who has been through that process of introductory, what does a typical workout look like in terms of the movements and, and the pace?
0: Okay, what I would typically uh do for somebody is a a workout that would say it would ha it would so let me break this down uh, It would have
1: uh, are we work, what kind of first what kind of equipment are we working with here? Let's say whatever you have in, in your studio. Okay, so we're yeah, just, let's work
0: with, machi-
1: we'll work with machines then. Perfect, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I, I could go ahead and like, list all these machines, but you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're working with mostly.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's look at the, uh, a, a typical workout um, with machines. So I would probably have a person perform about seven or eight exercises in a typical routine. And now I'm not going to give like a, a highly specialized routine for somebody who might have injuries that we're working around or whatever. We would take that healthy 20 year old individual who's looking to, um, increase their strength and promote hypertrophy as much as possible. Perfect. Uh, so I would have them do, uh, as I said, around seven, eight exercises. And, um, well, maybe, maybe push it a few more than that. Uh, I, I, I'll give you, let's go with a 10 exercise routine. Perfect. Um, so I would start out with, let's say, for example, a toe press. So we'll, we'll hit the calves to start off with. And then go on to a big leg press. Then a pull down, chest press, compound row, shoulder press. I like to get the low back in there. I don't necessarily think that has to be done every session.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Um, but, but a good low back exercise once every week or once every two weeks. Uh, abdominal flexion. And I do like to address the neck as well. So I might have a neck extension and a neck flexion in there as well. So it's a full body routine. Uh, that, that routine I just mentioned used 10 exercises long. Yep. Um, and you will notice primarily it's based on compound movements i'm a i'm a fan first and foremost of compound movements and then you know i'm uh, i'm not averse to uh, the more isolationary type movements. so i'm happy to sprinkle a handful in there and, and i do particularly think the lumbar region benefits from from isolation work from time to time
1: Definitely, and that makes total sense too. And, and you, you know, you're working from. And most people might think like, "Oh my gosh, you're you're starting out with, uh, you know, a calf. Oh my, god that, that's not a large muscle group. It's part of your legs. You're breaking it all the way down. You're doing that, so you you're not completely uh, fatigued by the end of the workout to not be able to to hit those muscle groups. Because a lot of people, do, I mean, that's like an exercise that a lot of people don't think of doing because they think it's like a waste of time. But you broke it down all the way from the largest muscle groups to the smallest muscle groups, and Again, a lot of people might think, well, what about biceps and triceps? Think about the muscles that were just talked about. And when you're... So
0: chest press and and shoulder press as
1: your triceps. Exactly. Pull down and compound
0: row as your biceps. Bam, there you go. Uh, Much of the research that I'm aware of suggests that if you do compound movements for the upper back, for the chest, that there is no additional benefit to performing a biceps curl from a scientific
1: perspective
0: right uh, there, there's research now i'm not saying don't do biceps curls or, or triceps extension particularly if you enjoy doing them or you enjoy feeling the muscle work in isolation i'm just not entirely convinced it's necessary I'm um either. So, right
1: i'm not either yeah, actually I had, actually my last appointment um uh, earlier this morning at the very end he's like so we're not doing biceps from triceps And i'm like dude <laughs> We <laughs> like, know we just we just crushed your your entire upper body like your your biceps and triceps need to recover just as much as everything else does. Um, in fact, you know if and again if if this person you know, is training two to three days a week, I don't see a problem hitting it maybe once, just like you said. You know the low back one time a week, bicep and tricep. Um, again, not going very heavy. I would even stick to one set. I know most of this is going to be one set anyway. But in the in the facility that I work in, I usually stick to around. Uh, two sets per exercise, yep. uh, you know that ten to twelve exercises in a half an hour is like perfect, I think. And um, yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's a very well thought out and and uh, you know level level program. What about to get to we
0: just want to get to the whole body, you know, really exactly the, the, the entire physiology. The, the one thing I, before we just go on to that next question that I would say is some people find that the lower body. So big lower body exercise like the leg press, they do better with that right at the end of a routine because if they've done that to true momentary muscular failure, there's not much left in the gas tank for many people after that.
1: Sure, I mean I think the same can be said um, if if somebody's doing a deadlift also. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though it's a very large muscle group, and most people will, I, you know, suggest depending on the kind of routine, but something like this, if you're going to do a deadlift, save it for the very end. Um, you're going to be fatigued anyway. It's going to be safe even though you're fatigued because you're not going to be lifting a ton of weight. Um, your grip might be spent a little bit, but again, you're not going to be doing, you know, massive volume and, um, it's going to be controlled anyway. So, um, what I was going to lead into, what about cardio? You didn't say anything about doing cardio in there.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So what I would do, what I would initially do is separate, um, cardio, uh, Cardiovascular health and cardiovascular conditioning. There you go. So, if you're interested exclusively in cardiovascular health and we get you to go and we successfully get you to go to momentary muscular failure in your exercise in the routine, I don't think that it's a requirement to add any additional cardiovascular exercise into your programming. Unless, again, uh, psychologically, you you just absolutely love, I don't know, running on a treadmill or or hopping on the bike and go mountain biking or whatever it may be. That's something else. That's not part of what I would call programming, really. Now, if you're engaged in a sport and need cardiovascular conditioning to support you in that particular activity, then yes, you're going to need to do something else as well as the resistance training that mirrors that's that sporting endeavor
1: yeah like that sport like do that exactly sp- do that sport and so that's the ideal exactly yes. yeah that's 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 100 couldn't agree more because i see it all the time where people they, they put so much emphasis emphasis on the cardio that people have come in like a half an hour before their workout and they just waste themselves on the elliptical or treadmill and then they stay after their 30 minute high intensity workout where they're huffing and puffing um, and, and then they want to get back on. It's just like, let your body receive the adaptation signal, rest, recover, give it a day and then repeat. But, you yeah. know, to, to, to break it down and make it simpler for people to understand, uh, I mean, it's just the kind of the culture that we live in now, more, more, more where, I mean, it's true, especially in, in the type of style of training that you're talking about, less is truly the best.
0: Yeah, I- there was a, a, another piece of research I was I was looking at this morning that uh, shows or suggests that if you're looking for an absolute minimal dose, and this, this was, again, looking at an older population, but an absolute minimal dose of exercise could be a leg press, seated row, and chest press performed twice a week, um, intensely as an introductory workout for, for a senior citizen, so somebody 60 plus, and that... You could build on that if if they have the motivation desire to do so, but that would likely stimulate great results for somebody initially. So you can that, I would say that's a, a really minimal volume and frequency that I would look at using, and you can build up beyond that towards that sort of ten exercise routine uh, that I that I mentioned before, something akin to that.
1: Well, that's a good note. Yeah, especially like for the introductory uh, participants, especially, that's a good note.
0: Especially if somebody doesn't, has not done resistance training before and it's completely new to them. And, and you know, the barriers of entry to this type of exercise that, that most people state are, one, I don't have time to do it. Right. And two is it looks too complex. I don't know where I'd start in the weights room. You know, it's, those are the two barriers to entry that most people have. And if you can bypass those and at least get them into doing something, then they'll find just simply the way they feel physically you, you Eric, you know that thing where you you start training with somebody who hasn't trained at all before uh resistance wise or, or or hasn't done anything in the last five six seven ten years the way they start to hold themselves mm-hmm. yep. without even thinking about it after they've gone through five six seven weeks with you yeah it's incredible isn't it and and when they start to be aware about and you know you you, you might have somebody uh, who, who suddenly realizes how their strength is improving, just doing something every day, you know, Oh, I, I, without thinking I lifted six grocery bags in from Maccabi the other yep. day at the same time, uh, I couldn't do two before that. And they just did it in, without thinking about it. They did it. And yep. it's these real world adaptation, which, which gives me a lot of pleasure when I see and hear feedback like that, because you know you're making a big difference to somebody's everyday life at that point.
1: I got goosebumps because I yeah you know, that that's one of my biggest things. I mean, the stuff that we do in the gym isn't supposed to be kept in the gym. It's supposed to benefit the things on the outside. Like you said earlier, that the sport that you're doing or the everyday the everyday tasks, even if you're not an athlete, everybody yeah. mo- everybody moves. Well, most people move most of the time. So, you know, and obviously we can get we could do a whole other podcast on why uh, the sedentary population could really benefit from this. People you know have desk jobs and everything, but yeah, you said it. You if you're if you transfer this to the outside, you can play with your kids longer, play with your grandkids yeah. longer. You can yeah. stand up uh, from sitting for ten minutes without any back pain. Those are the kind of things, you know, being self-sufficient on a daily basis. I mean, what's more empowering? And I think another thing that you hit on, you know, how they hold themselves, and obviously you're not t- you're not talking about physiological holding yourself. You're, you're talking about like you're you actually become um, more confident in your everyday life. And I, I think, Absolutely. I think I see that a lot in young, uh, young people who train, uh, men, yes. f- female and male, because obviously it's intimidating anyway to come in here. But if you're so unsure of yourself anyway, and you're, and you're a teenager, you know, let's get into like the, the mid to late teens, you know, just, and it doesn't have to be in, in, um, uh, a high intensity setting, just, Exercise in general, doing body weight yeah. motions and learning to how, how to feel the exercise, it plays such a big role in how you carry yourself. You walk into a gym, you walk out knowing you've just done something very hard, and whatever else you know, the day throws at you, you can probably conquer it. And then if you go someplace else without someone coaching you, at least you, you have the ability to say, I know what I'm doing, I, I know I belong here. And uh, I think, yeah, I think all that goes a long way. Very, very much. Yeah,
0: uh, And you touched on bodyweight training. I'm a big big proponent of the benefits of bodyweight training as yeah. well. Uh, it's it's slightly more complex initially to pick up the skills to be able to do that in a high intensity manner. Right. Once you've acquired those skills, you can work out on a desert island. You can work out in a hotel. You can work out wherever you are. You don't have to have a gym right next door to you. Uh, and it's great to have all this, all this equipment and stuff. But it's also good when that's not around, when the science stuff isn't around you, to just go old school and be able to, to keep yourself in a good, in a good place physically.
1: No doubt about it. Yeah. There, uh, what, and I don't mean this in a very, like in a, in the old meathead trainer way, but you know, when it comes to that, there's no excuses. <laughs> so, <they're> absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, Simon, I, I, uh, I really appreciate you dropping all this knowledge today. And if people want to, to learn more, to find out more about you and uh, hit uni, where's the best place they can reach you?
0: Easiest place, best, absolutely best place to get to is hituni.com, H-I-T-U-N-I.com.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: I'll have, and then we've got all the, all the usual uh, social media channels, Facebook, Twitter as well. And we're, we're putting out uh, blog posts uh, every week. So we're putting out constantly uh, new information and referring to the very latest research and, and getting new information out there all the time. So, awesome. you, you know, even, even if you're just interested in, in uh, learning a little bit more about this type of exercise, it, we've got stuff up there all the time.
1: Awesome. And I'll link all of that to the show notes. Simon, I appreciate you, sir, and we'll talk to you very soon.
0: It's been a real pleasure and, and really enjoy the podcast. So keep doing what you're doing, Eric.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, Get in touch with Eric on any social media platform, at Eric Feigl, or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more Fitness Candor.